Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. Two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you back into that conversation. Uh, Last time we were discussing some things about uh, the mystery of Christ in us, and we kind of got off into uh, sacrament and communion and um, how the Book of Mormon can add to that mystery or clarify that mystery a little bit. Gordy, what do you got? You get some thoughts? Well, I know, you know, we're going to say up front that we never confess to have all the answers. And sometimes the conversations that we open up here um, may clarify or may not. But we're sometimes speaking for people who have the questions in their heart and don't always want to utter those uh, questions. When we talked last night, or last time rather, on um, this idea of communion and this subject that seems to come up more now regarding authority and baptism. And and, and it's been difficult for some people. Years ago, um, a friend gave me some advice, and I think this is, is good advice for us in our response to people in, in communion and in the larger aspect of just in the world and in life. But there was this issue, and I can't even remember the circumstances of it, where I was talking to this friend, and he was kind of mentoring me, and I said, well, I'm confronted with these two options, and, and, and I said, do I do this or I do the other? And I, and, I, and I just don't know what to do. And his response were words I always remembered, and I think they apply to how we should um, carry out our duties to God, even in communion, whatever. He said, always, if you're going to err, if you're gonna and you're not sure what to do, always err on the side of love. If you can, if you can, if you can err on the side of love, because that is more going to reflect the purpose of, of Jesus Christ. And I, I remember that. And so, when we've talked about some of these issues, like when Jesus was in public and the disciples didn't want the children to come to him because their reasoning was no these people already have salvation. That was the reason why they didn't want the children to come bother Jesus, because he said, these are already saved. So they thought, they don't have any need to come to him. And he's like, no, 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 you don't get it. Let, let them come. Let them come. I want them to be with me, right? And so the the disciples, in thinking they were honoring God more by fulfilling Jesus' wishes by having the children not come to him, were doing the exact opposite. And so in our in our discussions of these things, it's like, who are who is the one we're trying to honor? Is is Jesus more honored sometimes when you look at things like, hey, you know, God, we we kept this person from you because we wasn't sure of the authority versus, would it be better to err on the side of Lord? What honors you more and let Him determine? I I just sometimes think that it's it's a lot easier to be a Pharisee sometimes in these issues who weren't always motivated by love. They were motivated by what they perceived as their understanding versus what we perceive as the understanding of Jesus' heart. So I, I feel like, in general, that's a good rule to live by in life. And if you're going to make a mistake, make the mistake that errs on, on the side of love. Yeah, I've been through those debates, though. And, and that's, you know, 
I've heard it said, you know, love isn't a feeling. It's in that they say love is, you know, standing up for the gospel and protecting the flock and not letting people partake unworthily. So it goes round and round. That's yeah. why I think it's fruitless um, because we don't have the wisdom. We don't have Christ living in us to give us that wisdom. Yeah. So let's come back to what you were talking about, Mike, because you had a lot of good scriptures, uh, New Testament scriptures that, that bring our heart and mind back to that. Yeah. The, just, I just got two more here, and, and this is finishing up. We were in Galatians last time, and um, and I am going to, I'm going to go through and read the whole book of Galatians. There's so many good things in here, but he says in 19, um, well, back up to 18, it's good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. So Paul's telling them, you know, you need to be, this needs to go on when you're not, you know, when I'm not just here with you. He says, my little children of whom I tra- <laughs> this is funny of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice for I stand in doubt of you tell me that you desire to be under the law do you not hear the law for it is written that Abraham had two sons the one by a bondmaid the other by a free woman this goes this is gets pretty deep into how one was free and one was not because one was by the promise of God and one was not. And so I don't want to get into that too much. Um, but he says we need to be free, not under the bondage of the law. So, But the mystery here is, he says, I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. So here's this little snippet again of this Christ. And remember, they're hearing this for you know, this is new to them. This is a new concept, completely coming from the law of Moses to now they're talking about this this Jesus being in us. I mean, how do we even, it, w- it was clear they didn't understand that concept when Christ said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, right. you know, that I have to be in you. And so this is, uh, this is new to them. Um, the last one was... Uh, I don't think we did. Did we do? I don't think we did Colossians. The last one's in Colossians. So let me pull that up here. Use our friendly scripture search. Let's start in 21. That's pretty good. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. See, that's that's a huge mystery. Through his death, Christ is presenting us holy and unblameable. If you continue in faith, grounded, this is great, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. So there's... Endurance. Yeah. That, yeah, endurance. I like that settled. Like, I'm not going to be moved. I've already settled this. No matter what comes my way, I'm not going to change my mind. Right. Um, he says, yeah. in the hope of the gospel, in which you have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven. And, you know, Paul ties in the gospel several times. I did a, a study this week on gospel in the New Testament, and because I'm, I have a question that I want us to talk about. It's what is the gospel? Because I believe the Book of Mormon really adds what the gospel is, much more so than um, I, th- I think it adds a lot to that understanding. And that's important key um, to this Christ being in us because Paul always ties it to the gospel. And so if we don't know what the gospel is, I don't know if the mystery is going to ever be revealed, but he says... Uh, 
let's see, where was I at? 23, 24. He says, I, um, I'm made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery, which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. Uh, even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Did we do that one last time? I can't remember. From Colossians? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. So here's this mystery of, again, Christ in us and I just wonder if, uh, as a church, would we be better served to focus on that? Yeah, and, you know, like he pointed out, how foreign a concept it was for the people in the day to think, wait, Christ in us? You know, going to church was all about killing sheep and, you know, the blood and all this stuff, and now you're talking about Christ being in us? Um, uh, you pointed this out, and the, the Book of Mormon does, it, it just points these things, it points our hearts at the at the important things, in this day when Jesus serves communion to the people, it's interesting when the when he when bread and wine is brought in the eighth and ninth chapters of Third Nephi, the first time the disciples bring it, and it talks about how they served the bread and served the wine and they were filled. They they ate the bread and they were filled. They they drank the wine and they were filled. Now, to me, I'm picturing this in my mind as being no, it wasn't like, you know, these tiny little morsels of bread you get at communion, which are just a token, and and the sip of wine, which is just a token, which is fine. And I'm not arguing that. But I have a feeling there was like tables full of bread and there was pitchers full of wine and people were having this meal of bread and wine and they were physically filled, right, of this. Well, it's interesting because later Jesus comes back and they do it again, but they say the disciples didn't bring any bread and wine, but there was bread and wine. So Jesus somehow miraculously brought it. But in that moment, when Jesus brings us, he brings us all full circle. And he says the scripture that you mentioned that seems so weird in the, in the Israelites' ears. He that eateth this bread eateth of my body to their soul. And he that drinketh of this wine drinketh of my blood to their soul. He says, you'll never hunger or thirst, but you'll be filled. And then it says this, and here's the conclusion. Now, when the multitude had eaten and drank this time with Jesus, the bread and wine that he brought, behold, they were filled with the Spirit. And and this whole idea that this whole aspect of remembering Jesus through communion is so we can be filled with his Spirit. I think this is what Paul is talking about. You know, when they talk about being filled and when they talk about being one, it's like the Spirit of God is ever-present in your in your life you feel not that you don't have hard times and not that you don't have times when you're you're struggling because of the challenges i mean if anyone struggled these apostles who wrote these words did they were persecuted and stoned and imprisoned but somehow the spirit never failed them because of of their walk and and don't you think maybe that these scriptures are are leading us to the same idea that hey if you partake if you drink from the cup of salvation the Spirit's, the promises the Spirit will be with you. Do you think there's like some supernatural thing that um, takes place during the sacrament service if our hearts are right? Like they were filled or was that just uh, a one-time thing for those people because Jesus was with him? Because, you know, our, our morning worship last week or a couple of weeks ago, uh, the guy talked about 
you know, almost like this supernatural thing could take place where you took the bread and the wine in and that, you know, you could receive this forgiveness and this this renewal or whatever. And I wonder, is that what God intends when we go through this ordinance or this sacrament? Um, you know, or is it, you know, like you could ask the same thing about baptism or confirmation, you know? Right. You know, I'll, I'll answer it in a word. I think, and, and this might offend some people, but no, um, communion, I mean, while it could be this, uh, spiritual supernatural thing that it becomes and and I'm not saying it's not holy and it's not pure but I, I, I the reason I say no is because if we say it's that then we might miss the more important reason mm. of having communion mm. and and this is what Jesus says this is the third book of Nephi chapter 8 verse 39 when the disciples had done this Jesus said unto them blessed are ye for this thing now the done this is serving the communion for this is fulfilling my commandments and doth witness unto the Father that you are willing to do that which I commanded you. All right, so that nutshell right there is by doing everything you just did, serving the communion, drinking the bread, drinking the wine, it's summarized in this sentence. It's witnessing that you're willing to do the things that Jesus said. That's the most important aspect of communion. And if we decide, oh, it turns into this holy thing that, that, that burns away my sin inside me every time I put that piece of bread in my mouth or drink that sip of wine. No, because we're missing, because Jesus didn't say that. It's saying, I'm doing this, Jesus. I'm reaching forth my hand to drink of your spirit, to eat of your spirit, so that your spirit is within me, because I'm willing to be what you want me to be. That's what it's saying when I take communion. I'm, I'm willing to partake of this cup of salvation, which might mean I need to drink from the cup of awfulness, which we are all participating in in this life. But that's the that's the separation from God. But the point is saying, I'm willing to do what you commanded so I can be with you again. That's so that's so here's the question. Here's the rub. So we are a bunch of imperfect people who and I can't judge individuals. Some maybe have completely submitted their will to the will of the Father and are, are willing to do anything God asks. Many of us are holding back and continue to strive to give up all of our will to God and say, so if if we are taking communion and telling God, I'm willing to, what did you say, willing to do, do keep all of your commandments? Yeah. It, it, um, but but we know when we before we get home that day that, that we're selfish and we're not willing to do it, should we be taking the sacrament? Or is it reserved for a group of people that are already 100% all in and there's no doubt? That's a, that's a good question. Well, so it brings up the question, you know, the Book of Mormon uses the word worthiness, and we say, well, if someone isn't worthy, you shouldn't participate. Well, I had time recently where I didn't partake in communion because there was tension in my home and I felt like it wasn't resolved. And in that, I didn't want to be lying to God saying, hey, I'm willing to keep all your commandments when I had things that I realized I can, I know to, to change or to do better or whatever and resolve. So that's why Jesus said, hey, be, before you bring your gift to me, go go make right. things right, right? So I get that, and I don't want to mock God and say, hey, uh, all that can just slide, but I know you know you like me, so I'm going to do this. <laughs> no, I don't want to mock God in that. And so you bring up a good question. You know, hey, we, we do this, but then we go home and slip and fall. Because it, it doesn't say willing to keep your commandments to the best of my ability. Well, it's like, am I willing? Do I want to try? Of course I want to, because I realize, Lord, it's kind of like the question, hey, to the disciples, after he said this famous question, you have to eat my blood and you have to or drink of my blood and eat of my flesh. 
and the people go away, he turns to the disciples who are with them in that same conversation and says, so what about you? Where are you going to go? And their response is, Lord, where else can we go? You have the word of life, right? I think that whole idea is what we're saying when we're saying, Lord, I'm willing because you have the only solution for eternity, right? You have the cup you have a cup of salvation that I want to drink from. I want that. But I'm fully, I'm not going to pull the wool over God's eyes and lie and say, I live in a fallen world. Right. And I've had to pick myself up so many times. And have I sinned after partaking communion? Yeah, not, not like thinking as I'm drinking, oh, I'm going to go sin today. But the point being, we are fallen people and we need a Savior. And this is saying, this is where my heart lies. I want my heart to be with you, Lord. I want to try to keep your commandments. See, this is, so, Cord, this, this is the crux of it. Right my here. mind is rolling because if our list, you know, our last episode, uh, I hope our listeners stay with us and, and realize like this is real time. This is two people discussing things of eternity. And when you say eternity, that weight doesn't fully impact us when we hear it. But we are talking about our eternal status. Right. And we had our dwelling with God. And so if you didn't notice, like I don't know, they probably understand that the last episode was was hard because you and I both have different brains. We have different subset of qualities and we have different um you know, gifts and weaknesses. And so as you and I sit down as good friends and try to discuss the mysteries of Christ living in us and cleansing us, even though the words are simple and Paul just gives us a little snippet all through the New Testament, it's a mystery. And here it is, Christ in you. That does not mean that that that, that just is so evident and everything is glorious from there on out. It's like, it's a mystery. God's ways are hard to know. His ways are above us. It's going to take your whole heart to understand this mystery. And so you and I even discussing with all of our humanness, you see the rub is both, we both have the same goal, but there's tension, but we, yeah. And we understand things differently, but, but now we are, we're getting to the crux of what I think is so, and these are the things I'm saying we should be focused on, like working out this, this is our salvation, working this out with fear and trembling, understanding what God has for us and has in store for us. And well, you let me add something to that, yeah. Mike, because what you just said is so true. In the previous podcast, and I hope no one decided, hey, I'm going to tune these guys out because they talked about things that were somewhat controversial and didn't resolve them. <laughs> we we had to get through that conversation to get to this point, whether we even realized it in podcasts or not, because we have to show the futility of what people are arguing about right. and how they've missed the greater point and how we'll continually be mired in these just almost silly conversations until we realize what this is all about. And Jesus summarizes it all right, right here. And this is the, this is the focus of eternity. And, and uh, if you're listening, to be honest, this, this podcast is happening is right after the other one. And so we are in the same spirit, the same um, talking, the same talking points. We didn't go away and work all this out and come back. We are still in the same conversation, but to me, anyway, I'm feeling a little bit of hope as we go on. So I know you yeah. were slumping down there for a while. Like I was, I was going to tank the podcast forever. <laughs> Not forever, just momentarily. <laughs> no, but so this, I, I see what you're saying with the sacrament and the communion. We know, yeah, I like what you said about pulling the wool over God's eyes. He knows that we're that we're imperfect, but I don't think He would give us a commandment to um, to partake of the sacrament and to do it often. And then 
and then uh, put us condition. But I need you to make sure you're completely all in first, you know, with with 100 percent submitting your will, because he knows we're all a work in progress. And 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 so I think the desire and the trajectory that you're on is important. Um, so, Corey, there's a question I had about, you know, Paul ties us into the gospel a lot. And I really believe this is important in our walk with the Lord to ask this question, what is the gospel and are we preaching it? I used to ask that to people when they came on Stories of the Saints, what's the gospel? And just to get people's idea. But what does the Book of Mormon teach about the gospel? Because it does talk very specifically about the records and that they're important because they teach people to come unto Christ and it says, and you have to come unto Christ according to his words contained in the records. So that should give us a huge desire to search out, well, what are those words that teach me how to come to Christ? Because then we get into the process of this coming to Christ. So I wanted to ask the question, what is the gospel? And although this isn't contained in the Book of Mormon, uh, this is in Doctrine and Covenants, I want to read this because I love... I love this very simple definition of the gospel. So they're talking about the devil and his angels, and it says they are the only ones, the only ones on whom the second death shall have any power. And these are ones that knew Christ and didn't want to have any place with them. It says they've denied the Holy Ghost after they've received it, and they've denied the only begotten Son of the Father and crucified him unto themselves. And our friend is back, the Gremlins. Is that on both channels? What if you stop mine and see if it... Yeah, it's gone. Uh, yeah. It goes away by the time I try to figure out what it is. I was going to say, maybe if you muted the mics or something, right. then you know. I'll try it something. next time. Yeah. Well, our friends can join us through all of our trials, too. So, <laughs> <laughs> so 76, uh, the only ones that will, uh, that will not be redeemed a second time... It says, for all the rest shall be brought forth by the resurrection of the dead through the triumph and the glory of the Lamb who was slain, who was in the bosom of the Father before the worlds were made. Now, we could say that that means the only ones that won't be redeemed, the only ones that won't be resurrected and brought forth. Okay, so maybe that doesn't mean you're with God. So let's just read on. And it says, this is the gospel the glad tidings, which the voice out of the heavens bore record unto us, that he came into the world, even Jesus, to be crucified for the world and to bear the sins of the world and to sanctify the world and to cleanse it from all unrighteousness. So in me, to me, that takes away the other, the other way of looking at that. Well, we're just talking about being redeemed as being resurrected, right? Not as being in a place of glory or whatever. This says that he came to cleanse the world from all unrighteousness, that through him all, all might be saved, whom the Father had put into his power and made by him, who glorifies the Father and saves all the works of his hands, except those sons of perdition who deny the Son after the Father has revealed him. And it says that uh, this is the testimony of the gospel of Christ. 
it says that several times through here, that this is the gospel. And this is the gospel, the glad tidings, which the voice out of the heavens bore record unto us. This is the gospel, the glad tidings. Only the sons of perdition will not be saved. He came to cleanse the world of all unrighteousness and to sanctify it. Is that good news, Corey? That has to be the best news. And yet I hear that news and it's got this terrible uh, butt at the end hanging on called the tradition of what I've been taught. And it's like, I want to believe that. I want to believe it with all my heart. But yeah, but, but. there's different places I'm going to go and probably never be as good. We've already discussed that, so I don't want to get over it. But I wanted to remind us, it says, this is the gospel and the glad tidings. So we have to decide what we're going to choose to believe well, you asked that question. So, what is what is the gospel? Um, I th- yeah, that we're sanctified by the blood of Jesus, and that doesn't mean He did this work and we do nothing. I think that means that through that action, there is a process of us coming to Him, and that by doing that, He will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's that's the the gift in the end. It's not. It's not. The gift in the end, I think, is feeling clean, like we've talked about. There is no greater feeling than to have zero guilt and zero sin upon you. We feel the weight of sin, whether we think it or not, whether we say, oh, I've, I have no awe against anybody, and I've forgiven everybody, and I don't carry any hard feelings in my heart. You are in a sinful world, and the, the weight of sin is beating down on you from everything around you, whether you believe it or not. And, and when we can rise out of that and feel clean, that is a gift above all gifts. So that gift above all gifts parallels the language, which is Nephi's description of this tree that you arrived to, which is the love of God. But he calls it white above all that is white, mm-hmm. pure that is above all that is pure, you know, sweet above all that is sweet. It's the complete removal of the imperfection of this world. And and that's, that's the result. You know, one way to, at, to answer what is the gospel question is to just lay the foundation first that has to be understood in order to answer it. We have to understand human condition. We are all separated from God right now, eternally, unless something happens, right? And the something happens is the gospel. The gospel says our will is contrary to God. If we will make the choice to let God's will become our will, and that stands for keeping the commandments, making a covenant, baptism, receiving the Holy Ghost, all those elements of it. That's his will, and then we live in that will. He removes all sin so we can be with him again. I mean, that is the message of the gospel, That, but it took an atonement. It took an eternal sacrifice in order to even make those conditions possible. Our will changes When our will changes, he begins to do that work in us through that seed of the Holy Ghost planted where we become new creatures in him. We can't do it without the Holy Ghost. But in the end, it's everything that you said so we can be returned to him. And only those ones whose wills did not want to change do not get to be with him again. But it's by their choice. So, Corey, there's a couple scriptures that I don't remember if we touched on this or not. Uh, I I think maybe we were going to. There's a couple scriptures in the Book of Mormon that um, people like to use to poo-poo the Book of Mormon and say that we're a religion of works. 
And I think it's because of a misunderstanding and because of some of the um, some of the um, teachings of some other brothers and sisters that believe in the Book of Mormon but believe other things as well. Um, and it says one of those is in Moroni 10. And this, this is, uh, let's discuss this verse. Yea, come unto Christ and be perfected in him and deny yourselves of all ungodliness. And if ye shall deny yourselves of all ungodliness and love God with all your might, mind, and strength, then is his grace sufficient for you, that by his grace ye may be perfect in Christ. And if by the grace of God ye are perfect in Christ, you can in no wise deny the power of God. And so here we know um, the phrase in there that people don't like, um, then is his grace sufficient for you. And and they just want to shift they want to shift that grace to the beginning, that that grace allows you to come unto Christ. And I'm totally fine with that. I, I realize that me coming unto Christ and being perfected in him and denying myself of all ungodliness, that that is power that has to be, like that's not power my flesh can do. My flesh wants to be an enemy to God and is an enemy to God. My flesh lusts after the things of this world. And so this denying myself of all ungodliness, that's a choice that, and, and this is that shift that just barely gets off. If you picture a, a, a hand going up at the 12 o'clock position, you know, and pointing at it, when that minute hand goes to 11.59 or 12.01, it might as be, well be 12.30, you know, because once you shift just a minute off, it like, it like ruins your whole perspective. And I do believe this is important to keep straight, straight in our brains. And maybe people would say you're just arguing over words, but when it says be perfected in him and then deny yourselves of all ungodliness, that's about desiring that and submitting my will to God. But he he gives me that power. He gives me his spirit to to lead me on to him so that I desire him more, right? He has to be compelling me to do this. I can't just do that under my own strength. So that is his grace. But but I have to have that desire, it says, and and to do what I can, and then His grace is sufficient. I mean, what do you what do you think on on that? Oh well, so this this is a great scripture, but I want to put something here in context. Uh, I want to say something about where it is in the Book of Mormon first, and I, I want to say in how it's arranged in the Book of Mormon. This is the conclusion the, in the Book of Mormon that we have. These are the last few verses, and that's it. Right? What? we have to remember is that this is a summary of the end. If you've missed everything else in the book of Mormon, right. realize that this is how Moroni is sealing up the last page, right? He's putting these words in here and he's talking about how to come to Christ. And he's come, he's coming to this point in time where he's sealing up the record and he's wanting us to know how to come to Christ. Well, he's not recounting every detail of how the, Book of Mormon is is worded. When Jesus with those people, if you take this scripture out of context and someone says, well, see, it's talking about your works, then is his grace sufficient for you? If you take that by itself, it's no different, because I'll say this right now, the, the Book of Mormon does not teach salvation by works. It does not at all. It, But it's the same way that if you took the Bible story where Jesus is talking to these people who are just wanting to follow him around because he can do miracles and make food to eat, 
That's why he says, hey, unless you eat of my flesh and, and blood, you can't be part of me. If you just took that scripture by itself, you could come up with a lot of weird conclusions and say, see, Jesus says we need to eat of his body and we need to do this. It's like, well, no, anyone who's read any more of the scriptures knows it's really not eating his physical body. It's all a spiritual metaphor for everything he's talking about. Well, in this scripture, talking this phrase, then is his grace sufficient for you, isn't coupling it with somehow our works make made us... Um, capable to this point. It's simply saying this, when it says, if you deny yourselves of ungodliness and love God with your heart, might, mind, and strength, loving God with your heart, might, mind, and strength was the very first commandment of the Ten Commandments. All right? This is nothing new. This is like, okay, so if you've come to this point where you decide, God, I love you, I'm willing, I want to follow you, that's what he was telling the Israelites. I want to follow you. Then he's saying, then you open the door where this blood and his sacrifice begins to do his work. But if you've never come to this point in your life where you love God, where you want to follow him with your might and mind and strength, then the process isn't grace for you. And that's what it's meaning. And it's, it's basically summarizing the whole of Scripture before this. But, of course, critics can hone in on this word saying, ah, well, you know, you're teaching salvation by works. Nothing could be further from the truth. It's teaching everything happened by God, but there's a door which you enter, and the door which you enter is submitting to God. And, the, and that submission to God is to decide his work, his will, his his purpose is what I want. That's what it means to love him with your might, mind, and strength. So, Corey, what do you say to then also Second Nephi 11? Um, it says, We labor diligently to write, to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. This is another scripture that I've heard on the interwebs that is going um, against the Book of Mormon. Oh, yeah, yeah. And this is this is another one where part of this can be uh, answered simply by just reading it the next in contest with the, with the next verse and the yeah. previous verse. All right. So this this is not saying that, oh, after we do our work and whatever we can do, you know, we do 99%, for instance, and I'm speaking facetiously. Right, and then, he, he and then Jesus a little grace, whipped he, cream on top. Right, he puts in his 1% of grace, and then we've made it. No, it's not implying that at all. Just read it in context. He's, in verse 43, he's talking about how they've labored so diligently to try to persuade their children to believe in Christ and be reconciled to turn to God. That's in context, that's what he's talking about. After everything we can do, he said, hey, we're realizing it's only by God's grace that everything we can do was part of, he's just describing his simple labors on this earth. We're writing, we're teaching, we're preaching, everything that we can humanly do, but we know that it's only by God's gift that we even have this hope of salvation. So he's not saying that after everything we personally individually do as a work brings us to the point where then 1% grace is all that we need. No, he's he's partly saying... It's actually saying exactly the opposite. Exactly. Read it. Exactly. It's saying the opposite. It's, it's pointing out that, no, it's only by salvation. He said, if everything we did, it, it's futile. It's by grace that we're saved. Yeah, he's 
he's going ahead and saying, look, we're laboring diligently. We're writing to persuade our children and to persuade our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. We're doing all of this. We're trying, we're spending our whole life trying to get people to come to God, but we know that it's by grace that we're saved, even after all that we do. And the next verse, I think, sums it up. It says, not He's also talking about they are still under the law of Moses. So he's saying, notwithstanding we believe in Christ, we will still keep the law of Moses and look forward with steadfastness unto Christ until the law is fulfilled. For this is the end the law was given. So even after all we do, keeping the law of Moses and all of this, we are saved by grace. It's it's the exact opposite, and they've, exactly. they've twisted it to, uh, uh, you know, again, pull one scripture and find a reason why not to believe. So if you ever hear that argument, that is not what it's uh, saying at all. Matter of fact, it sums up this chapter. It says, we talk of Christ, we rejoice in Christ. We Now find this in the Bible somewhere that's mentioned so much in one verse. We talk of Christ, we rejoice in Christ, we preach of Christ, we prophesy of Christ, and we write according to our prophecies that our children may know <laughs> Yeah. Where? To what, what source they may look for a remission of their sins. Exactly. It's not our work. It's Christ. Exactly. So, golly, man, read the rest of it and then believe. So that's just <laughs> like the end of Moroni. It's like yeah. read the whole story and you're going to get that this message yeah. of the Book of Mormon has only and only, always and only been this. You know, this this idea, too, was not limited to this scripture. Uh, in the In the short book of Enos, Enos is talking about how the, his brethren, the Lamanites, had fallen away and how he was his heart had gone out with passion to the Lord. And he's talking about how he had prayed and labored with all diligence about these family members who had fallen away. Uh, the Lord says, hey, you're going to be blessed because of your faith. But then he concludes, Enos says, but at the present, our strugglings were in vain in restoring them to the true faith. And so this, again, is just an example of how the people were laboring after everything they could do. Sometimes the work, it, it still wasn't even happening in their day. But the point that Nephi makes contrasting this is that he said, no, after everything we do, we we know that in the end, it's only because of God. It's Everything, like you said, where often do you get this, hey, we teach of Christ, we preach of him, we teach our children so that they can look forward. And how beautiful even that is that it was happening in the Old Testament times that these people were being taught to look forward to him. Salvation only comes by him. These animals were killing. See, he he later says this whole experience of the law of Moses in their day has become dead unto us. He's He, he explains that, you know, we keep this law only because of the commandments. Um, if you look right in the next verse, 49 and 50, he said, we are teaching this to our children that they might know the deadness of this Mosaic law because the Mosaic law was not the end. And by knowing the deadness of the law may look forward unto that life, which is in Christ. And, for, and then they know for what end the law was given. Okay, so let's let's get back to the Christ in us mystery. So these scriptures talking about the gospel, um, they all bring us back to the same place. We're saved by grace after all we can do, after everything we try to do. But we we have that that tension in Corey. So here's let's just talk for a minute and, and step back, pretend as much as we can that we're not on air and it's just you and me sitting around talking. You and I have different personalities and different gifts. So, you know, you have somewhat a gift of diligence that I don't have. I mean, 
you can go for hours and you get on something. The Lord's given you that gift. Um, you know, I know you've done some things in your life, running marathons and riding, you know, for riding the, the number of miles for your birthday on your bike, you know, and you just, you have that gift of diligence. And so for someone that has that gift, you can approach the scriptures and they look different to you and they work different in your mind because of your gift. And I think because sometimes we have strengths in some areas, it's hard for us to empathize or even put ourselves in the shoes of someone who does not have that gift but may have a different gift. And so that's why the gospel, why we have to help each other as we read these verses in the gospel because some of them are like, okay, I can do that in my life. I can implement that in my life. And other people may not have that tool. They may not have that skill set to do that. And yet God plans for the gospel to bring all people to him. So what do we do when we, uh, you know, I'm reading these things about yielding ourselves to Christ, about feasting on the words of Christ. Is there a difference, Corey, in my life every day as compared to your life every day that somehow we we tap into this Christ in us, this mystery? Because mm, mm. I don't know. I'm just talking out loud. I don't know. I just know that I, I don't feel like I'm there or I haven't made it i know i haven't made it yet so i'm still mm. searching well that's a good question and and i don't know you know like for you know personal things that we've had interest in you know whether it's running miles or riding a bike or whatever or competing in some event um if if that's even a thing that makes it, it might be something we're interested in but you know the jews were being described as being ever learning yet never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. And and that's a beautiful poetic contrast in the Hebrew where ever learning was contrasted with never able, right? Yeah, so that, that, that's my nemesis. That right. scripture scares me. Well, but but the point being, hey, they could be really diligent in some things and totally miss the mark, right? right? So I, I just point that out where it's kind of like, hey, you know, I can be really diligent and waste a lot of time. You know, I've I've spent a lot of time looking at things I wished I owned on the internet, and that was a diligent pursuit of vanity, right? Right. You know? And so we can we can be diligent in the wrong things, right? And it doesn't take a supernatural gift or some ability to endure something physically to, to be able to understand a spiritual truth. I think we make it overcomplicated if we think it's anything other than just starting with the question, Lord, what is the difference between my will and your will? Where is my will running up against things that you don't love? And how can I change that? Right. And, and wouldn't you think that those simple questions, they don't take a lot of diligence. They just take the willingness to being able to ask them. Don't you think those start us on the journey? I do. You know, I did something this week and I have, I'm trying to organize my thoughts better and just to be more, I'm using technology to try to help me be in more communion with my father. And so one of the things I do, if you have an iPhone and if you don't, you can get any kind of app. It's just a notes app. And they're very, very quick to access. I can access it without even unlocking my phone. I've set it up that way. And when I come across something that I say, this is something I can sink my teeth into, I can put into my pocket and pull it out and use it every day to try to increase my relationship with Jesus and my walk, I'm going to write that down. And I just called it Daily Living Advice. That's the name of the note. So I came across a scripture this week, and I put it into here. And so I need to pull this out every every day. Listen to this. I don't care where you're at in your walk with Christ. Just listen to these words, and then I'll give you the reference later. Rejoice in the Lord always. 
And again, I say rejoice. Now, when you're having a bad day, mm. that is something to remind yourself of. And your body and your heart is not going to want to follow that advice. Mm. But that's advice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. I don't know what that means. Maybe we'll get into that. Be afflicted for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. We talked about that. What did supplication mean? Um, earnestly begging? Yeah. By prayer and earnestly begging with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good rapport, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, there is about a million things that I can work on because as soon as my mind starts thinking on something that isn't just, that's not honest, that's not pure, that's not lovely, that's not good, I got to get my mind off of that. Whether it's, Lord, this is not pure, help me focus on what's pure. What, well, what do you need to think on? You know what? I see babies all day long. Focus on some little one in your life. Focus on the beauty of that, and like God wants you to be that way. I don't know. Focus on Jesus Christ hanging on a cross. That image is there. That graphic image is there for a reason. Focus on that. This is the end result of my will, Christ on the cross, the end result of my will, the will of man. This is also the end result on the love of God. That's what he's willing to do to have me with him. Me. Forget about everybody else in the world. Me. That's how much he loves me. These are the type of things I believe when, when there's no more basic thing you can do, this is something to sink your teeth into. Mm-hmm. Lord, help me rejoice today. This morning I woke up and I thought, my son's asleep. When he gets up, I'm going to get a hug from my son. And I hugged him this morning and I said, buddy, when I was laying in bed this morning, I thought, this moment right here, how thankful I am. Rejoice that I have a son that gives me a hug. That is something more beautiful and precious than you can ever put money on. And yet mm. those things become, you know, side notes in our walk, you know, mm. and they shouldn't be. That's uh, one preacher said, that's, you know, you get angry because people are an inconvenience to you. They shouldn't be. They, people are your ministry. So whatever else happens in your day, people are first. That's interesting. So anyway... Daily advice, daily living advice. So that's from Philippians, the fourth chapter. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to write these things down so um, I can pull them out of my pocket and remind myself every day to be try to be thankful and to try to rejoice. And let's see if doing this every day changes what's going on. You know, there's nothing more basic I can do. I mean, Christ, what do I do, Lord? How do I find this mystery of you living in me? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what else to to do more basic, but see, that's how mine, my mind works. And Corey, your mind works. Some, I don't know. Some people's, I, I believe, you know, talking to my friend yesterday, he's one of those guys, he reads something and the full weight of it impacts him. And it's, he assimilates it. He says, Hmm, well, I believe that with all my heart. What am I going to do about it? And, and that's just, you know, we're all put together differently. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to be careful to not be ever searching and never coming to the truth. Because talk about diligence, I can read the Word and study. That's what I love to do, but but I feel like I'm so messed up. That's why I'm always, It's like <laughs> to me, it's like a matter of life or death. 
I'm trying to find the the way through the mire of this world, and I, I keep trying to search for those mysteries and say, Lord, how do we make it through? Mm. You know, sometimes it's good, I think, for us to remind ourselves that no matter how good things get in this life for us, and we have those moments, though, that we still are existing in a fallen world. Yeah. You know, and it's like he's telling us it's never going to be as good as you want it to be because you aren't there yet. And then, and that, I don't know, I guess for now we can only believe the scripture's true that our eyes haven't seen, our ears haven't heard, it hasn't entered into our heart the great things that God still has for us ahead. I think we have to be really careful and I'm guilty, guilty. When I say that, I, I mean, I don't want to be guilty of it, but we really can, we could spend a lot of money and time and energy making our kingdom here as good as we can be. And in so doing, it's like, well, I don't ever want to leave this. This is great. But that's why the Lord allows us to suffer because eventually all things fail, no matter how nicely decorated our houses are, no matter, you know, all the comforts we have of, of life and food and it all fades away in the end, and we have absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I love that scripture you shared from Philippians, and that that, that was always my wife, and still is uh, her favorite scripture too. Just focus on the pure and the lovely. That's the good place to start. Well, uh, anything else, brother? I think mm-hmm. I think uh, we've twisted and mound our way, and you know, even with no answers, I hope these questions just get people's minds going so the Spirit can work with them. And maybe they're like, that reminds me of a scripture that I know in my life that I can implement. You know, it really is as simple as that. I don't know any other way around it. But but there is a mystery, and it's Christ in us. It's us being covered by Christ. And the good news is those people will live with him in his kingdom. And those that don't want that, will be become sons of perdition and won't be saved. But the good news, the glad tidings, the gospel is we will be saved by Christ in us, by him becoming one with us, us becoming one with him. It's a great mystery and one worth, I think, seeking out every day of our life. I don't know. Anything else, brother? Oh, I think you summarized it. Thank you, brother. Well, I think I may have. No, we're good. All right, well... Until next time, let's keep walking each other home. (laughs) God bless my friends.